This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Tom Garancer. Tom is the author of Think Like Google, how to use SEO and empathy to rank, convert, and profit, no matter how much they change the rules. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Roman. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are now? And obviously, how did you kind of jump into the book? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, I've always been a writer ever since I was a little kid. I've, I've enjoyed reading and writing. Uh, uh, in fact, my parents in the summers didn't have a TV. Uh, we had a we had a summer home, on a, a camp, they called it, on a lake up in Maine and no TV in the summer. And so I was forced to read book after book after book and uh, ended up kind of having a, a circuitous journey. I was a raft guide and ski bum for years. I traveled around the world kayaking and Costa Rica and uh, you know all over South America and Central America and um, and you know loved raft guiding and and kayaking rivers all the time and kind of let myself get past the age when most people would have a real job and then realized I would have to do something about that so I started uh, it was a natural transition from shooting rafting videos to shooting wedding videos and corporate videos and I ran a, a successful video production company for about eight years up in Maine. I toured factories all over the Northeast, including a couple of different Raytheon factories, uh, Abiomed, where they make um, artificial hearts, Stanley Tools, Callaway Golf, uh, dozens, dozens and dozens of factories, and ended up um, uh, working for a consultant in that regard and, and ended up making a couple of my videos, won the Shingo Research Prize for Manufacturing Excellence. Ended up, you know, just kind of getting arrogant, kind of deciding that I could do anything because um, I had this great business going and I thought, well, what's the one thing I haven't achieved that I really would like to achieve? Well, I would like to be able to live anywhere I want to live. So I started traveling around the country looking for a place to live and uh, made a spreadsheet and got all into the details, what was going to be the coolest place. And I had all this data that I was amassing. And I ended up, the, the data ended up telling me that I should move to West Virginia, which I had to check about three or four times because I didn't want to live there. Uh, I wanted to live somewhere cool like Breckenridge, Colorado or Bend, Oregon or something like that, which I visited and I lived in a couple of places out West and for, for extended periods. Uh, ended up moving to West Virginia though and thought, well, it's okay. I can make a living anywhere. I, I'm smart enough and I've made this great business. I, I'll be fine. I was really arrogant, it turned out, because when I got to West Virginia, it turned out there was almost no economy here to speak of. There were very few jobs. Uh, and for a few years there, I couldn't get any traction at all. And it came down to the point where we were, my wife and I were two weeks from the due date for our first son. I had burned through most of the savings that I had amassed uh, in my video production business. And I didn't have any really good ideas for what I was going to do to earn a living. And uh, here comes this child on the way. And so I, I started writing for money. I, I, it was kind of a miracle. This job kind of landed in my lap. 
I asked like one friend, hey, do you know anybody who needs a writer? And he said, yeah, actually I do. I need, I know somebody who needs a blogger. And I, I said, that's exactly what I want. And it was $40,000 a year. It was barely enough to make a living on. Thankfully in West Virginia, you don't need much. It's, uh, it's you know, it's we moved here for California activities at Appalachia prices. And, uh, and we got the apple, we got both. So it's a great place to live. Some of the best white water in the world. There's rock climb, world-class rock climbing about a mile from our house. Um, there's year round white water. There's, it's, it's a fantastic outdoor community, but no jobs, nowhere you can, you can really work unless you want to just work at Lowe's or something, which I didn't want to do. So, um, so I, I started this blogging thing and, uh, that got better and better. I worked at that for a couple of years. I, I grew this blog from zero traffic per month all the way up to 600,000 viewers per month in, uh, you know, working, just writing. I wrote probably 700 plus articles for that blog. Uh, ended up, that, that blog ended up closing due to something that happened with Google, this update that happened. And uh, I found another client and I started working for them and I they started out at about a million views per month. It's called Zeddy.com. They're a career website. And me and two other writers got them from a million views per month all the way up to three and a half million views per month. So, uh, and in the course of that, I, I started thinking, well, I never want that to happen again where I have this client that I lose. And then, I have, and then I'm thinking, what do I do? Because that was pretty challenging, as you can imagine, when I lost that first blog. Uh, it took me a couple of months when I had no income at all. And that, funnily enough, that happened. I lost that gig uh, two weeks before our second son was born. So here I got another kid on the way and lost my income, lost my job and didn't know, you know, that first writing gig was such a miracle. I didn't know how to find a second writing gig. So I took a couple of months and worked really hard full time at finding my next gig. And that was this career website. But I never wanted that to happen again where I was suddenly, you know, at a loss. So I, I started reaching out to other clients at the same time, even though I've never left that second client, that career website, Zeddy. Um, I started reaching out and, and forming new connections because I thought I want a good, solid, I want to turn this into a business. I want a good solid base of clients. And so now I'm, at, I'm a regular contributor to the HP Tech Takes blog. Um, I write for sale. I'm a regular contributor for Salesforce, still for Zeddy.com, the career site. I'm a regular contributor to Boys Life. I'm currently writing the book version of the popular How It's Made TV show for the Discovery Chan Channel. Uh, I have articles featured in the Boston Globe magazine and Outdoor Life and several other blogs and clients. Costco is one of them that pops to mind. I'm also the author, like you said, of Think Like Google, how to use SEO and empathy to rank, convert, and profit no matter how much they change the rules. And the way I got to the point where I wanted to write that book is just the success that I had in uh, growing all these blogs from you know low traffic to really high traffic. And what I learned in the course of that from the different people who ran the blogs to the, the SEO gurus who I, who I communicated with in the course of writing those blogs. Everything I learned, um, I started having people ask me, clients ask me, well, can you teach my other writers how to do this? Can you teach my other writers how to get these articles to rank high? And I would say, yeah, sure. And I'd, and I'd start teaching them. And then after this happened several times, I finally realized I ought to write all this stuff in, down into a book because I do know an awful lot about it. And it's not rocket science. And it's a lot of stuff that people think is very different from how it actually is. 
So, um, so that, yeah, so I decided to write that book and, and now I'm at the point where I've got this really solid income. The career is very solid. Uh, the, uh, I've got, uh, more and more clients all the time. And I've also got, you know, I'm pulling in help from other writers and, uh, uh, on a contract basis, hiring other writers and hiring uh, uh, graphic designers who, to to come in and kind of add to when you know when I can't uh, handle the, all the work I have myself, kind of pull pull in extra resources and handle that. So, so that's where I'm at today. No, yeah, that's very uh, interesting. I mean, I I got into uh, search engine optimization, or at least I started with it off chance. So. In the 2008 recession, I was heading the route of criminal justice, or at least that's what I graduated with and had a uh, interview with the Secret Service with a top secret clearance my last semester, and then the recession hit. So, you know, state, local, and federal agencies froze hiring, and I couldn't find anything. And somebody presented the opportunity, and that's how I got started in digital marketing and have been doing it for, I guess, going on 12 years and founded an agency and then kind of diversified as the internet matured and the digital marketing ecosystem and saw how things connected, like new and up and coming social media platforms, which at that point was only really uh, Facebook and Twitter at its infancy. And I, I believe uh, LinkedIn at its infancy too, as kind of the, the top sources and kind of diversified that way. So I resonate with that and resonate with kind of the book title as well in terms of empathy and kind of good content with a strategy in mind basically future proofing your seo efforts instead of chasing algorithms yeah that's the big key and and i it kind of makes me think i shouldn't have called it i shouldn't have said it's about seo at all because it's really not there's a in case people want to see it there's a copy of the book right there but um they uh yeah, it, it search. The more I talk to people about search engine optimization, there's kind of two camps. Like some people are are like, "Oh, I really need to know that." You know, I need to understand how to get my pages to rank. And other people are kind of like, "Yeah, isn't search engine optimization kind of dead?" And I have to say, it kind of is because all the everything we think about in terms of keywords and you know trying to intersect with Google's algorithm and figure out how to kind of trick Google is kind of dead. It's kind of um, it's kind of more search engine marketing or, or digital marketing, as you say. Yeah. I mean, in 2008, 2009, I remember people were chasing the algorithms and right now that's fine, but there's other factors in play. I mean, there's two to 300 ranking factors that obviously you should be aware of for content, for link building, for the technical kind of uh, makeup of your website. But if you like, like we just said, if you chase the algorithm, that content is going to be written kind of more so to Google, not an actual human being. So even if it does rank, the page shows up on page one. Then if somebody gets there and the content isn't adding value to them, they will bounce. And obviously the higher your bounce rate, eventually you will leave that page one position because Google doesn't want to show something with a high bounce rate, poor user experience, because it's not you know, adding kind of to the reputation of being a good search engine or added value in that sense. And now they also have position zero for obviously a lot of informational searches where you get an answer right on Google. You don't even go to the website, but the answer is pulling from a website that you structure that data with. 
Yeah, and that's the exact reason that I uh, I titled my book Think Like Google and the reason I put empathy in the subhead of the book because it is all about, you know, it's all about, well, what is Google trying to do? And if you think about it, Google's goal, they make money based off of ads, right? And they what they want, their goal ultimately is to make giant Scrooge McDuck-sized piles of money so they can go swimming in it. Or if you want, their goal is to raise a lot of money so they can further humanitarian efforts around the world. Whatever, whatever their goal is to do with that money, their goal is to make that money. And the way they make that money is by showing ads. And they're not going to show ads if they serve up poor content. So they have a deeply vested interest in figuring out what's the best content. And that answer used to come to them through, here's all the keywords that we're going to analyze each page to, because they didn't know how to how to really figure out well is this a good piece of content or a bad piece of content the way they figured out was well we can teach a computer program to look for certain keywords and if those are there it's probably good and if they're there a lot it's probably better so people started trying to game the system and started trying to stuff keywords in it led to a lot of bad content and google said well we don't want that we don't want this stuff that has you know if you're writing an article about breakfast cereals you've got the term breakfast cereals in there 10,000 times. Nobody wants to read that. So let's figure out, well, how do we improve this? So Google kept keeps improving their algorithm and keeps improving their approach. Uh, and what that's leading to is a lot of people who figure out exactly how to rank high. And then they write a bunch of content and they get a bunch of traffic. And then Google rolls out an, an algorithm update and boom, they're right back down with no traffic or they lose 70% of their traffic overnight. And, uh, you know, these updates keep rolling out. Google's done like 70 of them in the past three years alone. So that's really bad for content generators that they, they keep figuring it out and then they keep getting it pulled, the rug pulled out from under them over and over and over again. So what you really want to do is you want to figure out, well, how do I think like Google? What is Google doing to what, what's Google's goal and what are they really looking for? What, what are they looking for that's behind all these updates like what's the spirit of the law not the letter of the law so if you want to serve the spirit of google's law you have to kind of figure out well what is that spirit what are they what are they trying to do what are they what does it mean to think like google and and the answer to that like i said used to involve keywords but now it's a lot more based on what you you were pointing out the uh well, it's dwell time. You didn't use the term dwell time, but you talked about the bounce rate. Yep. That was the term you used. Mm -hmm. So if, if people are bouncing, then it means the, the content is no good. And there's actually, there's some evidence that Google does look at that. There's a lot of search engine optimization experts who will tell you they don't look at that. Um, there, I just had it led a panel last week for the American Society of Journalists and Authors where I spoke with Dr. Pete Myers of Moz and, uh, Barry Schwartz of Search Engine Land and Amanda Chan of Bustle and a, a couple of other SEO gurus. And they were they were uh, disputing the idea of dwell time. And if you don't know what dwell, you know what dwell time is. But if your listeners don't know what dwell time is, there's this concept which was first um, sort of raised by Nick Frost, who is the head of SEO brain, uh, uh, sorry, of Google brain in Canada at the time. And what he said was, what Google does now is it watches when when you search a term, it it look it's watching you when you're on the Google web the Google page, and and the, all the search engine results, the SERPs come up, uh, and you click on one result. Like let's say you search uh, how to rebuild a carburetor, and up pop you know 
75 million articles or whatever it is. And there's the 10 top ones are on page one. And you click on one of them and you go through to it and you come back in 10 seconds. Google sees that and it goes, oh, Roman came back in 10 seconds. That must mean this article is poor. So I'm going to record that as a vote against this article from Roman. And then you click on the on the number two result and you go there and you're there for 15 minutes and you come back and Google says, oh, Roman was in that page for 15 minutes. This must be an awesome page. I'm going to record that as Roman's vote for this page. And so then what happens is Google is doing this 7 billion times every single day. It's You could think of it as the most efficient voting booth in history. So it's recording 7 billion votes every day for and against different articles. And, um, you know, there's some, like I said, Barry Schwartz said, well, time eh, that people thought in 2017 they were doing that. Nowadays, they don't think they're doing that so much anymore. Google has come out and said, we don't know why Nick Frost said that. He's not in charge of our algorithm. He's in charge of Google Brain in Canada, which is an AI thing. It's different. Um, but based on my experience, I really think they are doing that. I mean, I've written... I had to write about a hundred, probably more like 300 net worth articles of different celebrities. And because I was using research, deep research, and actually, you know, not just saying, you know, Miley Cyrus is a singer, she's got blah, blah, blah albums, and her net worth is $350 million. That was most of the content at the time I started writing these articles was along those lines. The articles I would write, I would actually go and look at what are all their albums, how many gold, platinum, and and otherwise albums did they sell? What percentage do experts say that an artist keeps of that? How many concerts have they had? What's the rough attendance of each concert? How much do they keep of that? I actually went in and did a deep analysis of each each artist or you know sports figure or whoever. Um, and then I, I did a tax calculation on it, an investment calculation on it, tried to figure out what other assets they had. And actually actually did some research and I started ranking really high and I dominated that field for years until the site closed. Um, but the w- one thing I would notice is these articles were all very similar. These net worth articles were structured in a very similar way. But if I wrote it in a more engaging way versus a less engaging way, it would rank higher. And so I started realizing this dwell time stuff makes a lot of sense. It- it's not you know, if it was just Google looking at the keywords, you could write that article, that net worth article about every single celebrity on the planet, and they would all rank exactly alike, except you'd be up against some harder competition here or there. But I was outranking Forbes and Fortune and and, uh, other, you know, the richest and all these other sites with a lot more clout than our site. I was outranking them. Most of the time, I would write it was really engaging articles and those would outrank. And when I would kind of slack off or kind of phone it in, those articles would not rank. And so I started having a lot of faith in this concept of dwell time, what you're talking about, this bounce rate. You know, if people are bouncing, Google sees and Google will will put the, will float those articles lower down. And if people are sticking around, Google sees that too and will float them higher. So if you're trying to rank high, if you're trying to dominate search engine optimization for any kind of term or trying to grow your business through search engine optimization, the way to do it is to not, like you said, not focus on Google at all and focus on the reader and the searcher and on search intent and on, you know, how am I going to make these readers stick around? Because if I can make the, and whether or not Google is using dwell time, they have all kinds of other tools. You better believe they are using all kinds of other tools, including AI and machine learning to figure out 
are you writing an article that connects with the reader or not? And if that's not your number one goal, you're never going to rank, which kind of leads you to the, to the, the next kind of question. Well, if that's the goal, if the goal is just to write really engaging articles, then, then does that mean SEO is dead? Does that mean I should care about it at all? Or should I just care about writing, you know, the best article I can, which sounds kind of nebulous. And how do we do that? Well, the good news is there are tons of tools that have grown up around SEO that help you do exactly that if you use them in a counterintuitive way, not in the old fashioned way of I'm going to stuff keywords and I'm going to look at a spreadsheet, but in the way of I'm going to use these tools so I can write the article that will connect the best to my reader. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned kind of AI and machine learning back in the day that in actually have that component but right now in terms of ranking factors rank brain which is kind of google's ai to understand kind of what people are consuming and delivering better content to an individual user and also focusing on more personalized searches obviously when you're logged into google or logged out you're going to get two kind of separate results because your behavior is recorded more so when it's individualized and when you structure content in the way that you're speaking about on focusing on search intent and actually good content that adds value, you're actually targeting the individual user because you're solving their problem versus targeting the algorithm and just hoping that you're showing up, but you know, not adding value. And if for the unlikely reason that you do stick around on the first page, you're still going to suffer from people leaving. And if you're, you know, a product services business, what, what have you in terms of a website, if you're trying to sell something, if you don't sell or figure out how to position what you're trying to convey to convince a reader to purchase or contact you, you know, what's the point of ranking on, on page one if that content isn't delivering that value of convincing someone to go with you for whatever you do? Right. And the good news there, too, is that a lot of these SEO tools that I can mention uh, will help you to convert as well. So if you're writing articles that will uh, that will that will empathize with your reader, if you can figure out who your reader is, uh, that's the number one step. And then if you can follow through with these tools, you, you not only will you rank high, but you'll also convert because you'll be connecting right to what those readers are searching for in the first place. Yep. And like you said, understanding that target audience and what their needs are and developing and delivering content that basically addresses those needs or helps them solve them. Right. So the, so the way that people used to do that in the old days before the internet, you know, you had these uh, editors, these kind of J. Jonah Jameson type editors who were, their whole head was geared around empathy. I mean, you don't think of J. Jonah Jameson as having the most empathy, but but that kind of editor who could, what I mean is they could say, they could, you know, a, a writer comes to them and says, I got a story idea. And the old school editor said in the skyscraper, you know, with a big view of the, of the skyline says, it's sensational or nobody cares. You know, they can look at the article headline and instantly say that. And those, those were very valuable people back then because every magazine, every newspaper had to have one of those people at the top who could judge an article immediately and who knew their audience to such a ground level that they could say, we are with 100% confidence, we are churning out content that our readership really cares about. And you needed that, if you didn't have that person at the helm, your, your newspaper wasn't gonna get any eyeballs, it wasn't gonna get any ad revenue, you were gonna die, you were gonna sink. So 
The problem today is there aren't enough of those people who are those kind of savants at empathy to go around where we can helm every, you know, where every business and every blog and every little publication can have somebody at the helm who can look at a, at a topic or an idea and say, yes, we should write this or no, we shouldn't write this. We don't have enough of those J. Jonah Jamesons, but the really good news is that the tools of SEO can help us uh, simulate that. So the first tool I like to use in order to do this, in order to get those, those eyeballs, number one, get through Google, have Google rank us high, and number two, convert, like you were pointing out, Roman, is keyword research done in a very counterintuitive way. So in the past, most people would say, you know, they go to a keyword research tool like SEMrush, I'm sure you've used Hrefs, or there's a one that I like to use sometimes now called WordStream. WordStream has a free keyword tool. If people don't want to shell out the 99 bucks a month for SEMrush or Hrefs, that's not a bad one. Um, so the first thing you do is you go into one of these keyword research tools and you type in your keyword. If you're trying to write an article about you know, degreasing a carburetor, you type in degrease carburetor into the keyword tool and you get back, it spits out a list of keywords that'll be, sometimes it'll be thousands of keywords. It'll, it'll give you this list. And instead of looking at those and saying, oh, okay, I need to shoehorn all of these into my, into my article. You look at them and say, oh, okay, these are my searchers surface thoughts. These are my readers surface thoughts. These are the things that generally speaking, the person who types this keyword that I'm looking for into Google on a search query, uh, they care about these things to some extent. And that's great because your goal is to satisfy search, ex search intent. And now you've been given a little glimpse inside your searcher's mind. You, you have a little picture. You don't have to spend much time on this. If you're not into spreadsheets and doing massive research, you don't have to spend an hour on this for every article you write. You can simply go to a keyword tool, type in your term, and take a glance through the keyword list that pops up. They're organized in terms of uh, highest traffic first. You can kind of organize them however you want, but usually by, by default, you'll see the higher traffic ones first. Uh, it'll say right next to it, here's the volume. This is how many times every month somebody searches for this term. So you, you can prioritize it. You can say, oh, my readers care more about these terms higher up and less about the ones lower down. But you spend like five minutes on this and you just take a glance through and you say, okay, so these are kind of the things that my, my searcher cares about. And then you move on. And the second tool you use, because you don't yet have enough of a glimpse into your reader's mind to write your article yet or create your content. The second term that you use is called competitive analysis. And that's just where you type the search query in yourself. But uh, competitive analysis, you just go and you Google your own question and you look at the top three or four articles that pop up and you click into them and you don't have to read them. Again, you're not going to spend an hour on this. You're going to spend 10, maybe 15 minutes on this, probably more like five or 10. You're going to click into the top article and you're going to build it. You're going to open up your own Google Doc or Word document and you're going to build a quick outline in your own words of what this article presents to the reader. Um, so you're just going to look at their section headings and you're going to say, well, first they say this, then they say this, then they say this. You're going to kind of summarize their section headings. And you're not going to do this to reverse engineer the article because that's bad because what Google does not need is more content. Any search you type in, you're going to find millions of results. They don't need more content. They need better content. So you're going to, you're going to build this outline, not to reverse engineer, but to get, again, to get a glimpse at your reader's thoughts. And this is going to give you a deeper glimpse than your, than your keyword research. 
you're going to go into the second article. You're going to look at that. You're not going to build an outline of the second article. You're just going to look and see, do any of the section headings in this article, are they new from the first article? Are they different from the first article? If so, add them to your existing outline that you're building. Then go to the third article and look again, skim through it really quickly and see, are there any topics here that they covered that articles two and three didn't? If so, add them to your outline. Now, this is not, again, the outline of the article that you're going to write. This is just your outline of your searcher's thoughts. And what you're going to use it for is then the most important step in this competitive analysis tool is you're going to figure out how do I build a better mousetrap that makes the world beat a path to my door? How can I improve on this? And sometimes, you know, you're going to look at it and say, well, the outline is perfect. I can't improve on the outline. Okay. I'm going to give you some tools in a moment that will help you to improve on give you some ideas for how to improve on it. Uh, well, we can get into that if you want to in a bit. I'm not going to go over it right now, but I just want to skip on really quickly to your third tool to build this empathy with your reader, your searcher, your, your customer, social media analysis. This is incredibly important. This is where you're going to get your deepest look into your searcher's thoughts. Uh, deeper than keyword research, deeper than competitive analysis. All you have to do to do it is type your same search into Google. This time you're going to add the word Reddit on the end of it. If you haven't used Reddit, I'm sure you have, but it, uh, they call themselves the internet's front page. I call them the internet's sewer because you're going to find it's the, to, to quote Star Wars, it is a wretched hive of scum and villainy. If you go on there and post an opinion, you will find thousands of people willing to ram that back down your throat. Uh, but what it's gold for, absolute gold for creating content is for learning your searcher's deepest motivators. So if you can, uh, if you can, if you can go in there and, and look at a couple of the conversations, again, you could spend all day on this. Don't just spend maybe 15, maybe 20 minutes there. Um, go through and look at a couple conversations based on the term that you're trying to dominate and the word Reddit. Find a few conversations on Reddit and go skim through them. You're going to find people, you're going to find your reader on there whining and complaining about what keeps them up at night or agonizing about, you know, they can't figure this problem out. Um, you're going to find people, experts on there telling them uh, how to, giving them advice on how to solve their problem. You're going to find people on there telling them, you know, they shouldn't have this problem. They're ridiculous. They shouldn't even be in this field. They should get out of here. Um, you're going to find also some great turns of phrase, which you're going to want to note down. You're going to find people, I'll give you a great example. My, one of my colleagues wanted to dominate the search term, I hate my job. And this is for the careers, career site, zeddy.com. And so he looked at his keyword research and he saw a lot of terms in the keyword research actually returned to him uh, terms like, I hate my boss, I hate my life, I want to die. I can't do this anymore. I can't take the, these were key. These were, these were terms spit back to him by the keyword research tool. And then he also found similar terms of phrase in Reddit. People saying, I am pulling my hair out over here. I cannot stand this job one day longer. I'm totally burned out. So he noted down a lot of the, um, the turns of phrase that he saw in Reddit and a lot of the keywords that he saw. And then he went and wrote this article and he, and he told me before he wrote the article, he said, people, who search this term and people who, who sit down at Google to type this in, they, they don't care about me solving their problems so much as they want a shoulder to cry on. They want somebody to say, I understand where you're coming from. You hate your job. Your life is miserable. 
your job is terrible. It's the worst job ever. You're so burned out. Nobody appreciates you. They basically wanted somebody to explain all that to them. And so he wrote the article that way. He sat down, he gave him some advice. He gave some good pointers in there, but he focused first and foremost on using those turns of phrase he found in Reddit and in the keyword research and kind of spitting those back at the reader and saying, I understand you. And he ranked for a year and a half, he ranked number one. Since then, he hasn't updated the article in a while. It has sunk back down a little lower. I think it's number four right now or number three. But it was number one for well over a year simply because he did these steps of empathizing with the searcher and building this empathy for the reader. Yeah, and I think those are kind of straightforward uh, steps for people that may not be as technical to follow to actually develop a content strategy. So I really agree there. So what's one thing that you've seen in yourself that you saw as a weakness in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? Well, it was definitely uh, empathy. You know, I, I, I did struggle with empathy and, and interpersonal skills, certainly for a long time. Um, and then, you know, to the point where I, I had a couple of people speculate that maybe I had Asperger's syndrome and I, I looked it up and thought, well, maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe I'm somewhere on that spectrum. Um, so being someone who's really analytical, uh, I found that, you know, getting to use these kind of tools of SEO and coming at it from kind of a robotic point of view and, and learning how to do these things, um, turned me around to where now several times a week I have people email me and say, I read your article. I felt like we were having a conversation. It was amazing. Um, you know, I, I really feel like you understand me. I get a lot of fan mail like that and it's all based on, and it's tied directly into why my articles rank really high. It's all based on, you got to build empathy before you can sell anything. You got to understand just like, you know, the, the number one uh, sales interview question is sell me this pen. Why do they ask that? They don't want you to say, well, I got a pen that writes under whipped cream. They don't want you to extol the benefit, the, the features of the pen. They want to know, can you do have a qualifying conversation? Can you build empathy with your customer? Can you understand? Can you walk before you try to, uh, the, the question comes from the Wolf of Wall Street and there's all kinds of articles. I had to write this article, actually. There were all kinds of articles online. When I had to write the article, I did my competitive analysis and I read, I skimmed a bunch of articles that were based on, that were dominating the term currently, sell me this pen, which I now, I think I dominate now. I'm number one or number two with my article for that because I went through these steps. But because I also, in the course of doing this, I looked at the competitive analysis and I learned that the question, the sales question, sales, sales interview question, sell me this pen comes from the Wolf of Wall Street. And every everybody, all the articles, existing articles said, well, you know, the, the correct answer is in the movie. And it's basically, you know, these, his, Leonardo DiCaprio at the beginning of the movie is sitting around with his friends and he says, sell me this pen. And he holds out a pen to his friends. And there, but this is before he's rich or powerful or anything. And uh, one of them takes the pen from him and says, uh, do me a favor, uh, write your name down on that napkin for me. And Leonardo DiCaprio says, well, I don't have a pen. And he says, sold. And he throws the pen back at him and everybody laughs. That's not the right answer, though. That's when I read that article, I said, that's not that can't be the right answer. That's not true at all. And I kept digging and kept digging, kept doing research. And uh, this, by the way, this research step is one of your big SEO tools. 
when you do your competitive analysis and you have that head scratching time, I told you that you need to sit down and think, how do I go this one better? How do I build a better, better mousetrap? How do I deliver some content that Google doesn't currently have? One of the things you can do is do better research. So with that particular example, my research was better because I kept reading and kept reading um, and kept trying to find out, well, what is the right answer to sell me this pen? And I finally tracked that down to uh, the, the book written by the guy who, who Wolf of Wall Street was based on. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but the book uh, that this guy wrote uh, called Way of the Wolf, where he wrote basically after he was out of jail, he wrote this consulting book about selling. And he told the story of how he used to use this sell me his sell me this pen question. Uh, he told the story about how he used to use that question in interviews when he would hire new people once he was rich and powerful. Um, and he had this one kid come in and tell him, you know, well, the pen writes under whipped cream. It writes in zero gravity. It'll, you know, it'll grow your hair back, like all this stuff. And he finally said, you know, the kid said, well, what do you think? And the, the wolf said to him, what do I think? You mean besides the fact that you're obviously completely full of crap? Like, did you even bother to ask me first if I wanted a pen before you tried to ram one down my throat? Did you, did you even ask me, do I buy pens? Do I care about pens? What am I looking for in a pen? Do I want a cheap pen or do I want a really expensive gold pen to sign contracts with? You don't know anything about me and you're trying to sell me this pen. You're making up all this stuff. It's baloney. Don't, don't do that. So the correct answer he said in the book is start having a qualifying conversation. Ask the person a few questions. Ask them like, do you buy pens? The person might say, no, I don't. Oh, well, do you use pens? Yeah, I do. Oh, well, where do you get your pens from? Oh, well, my purchasing agent buys pens for me. My office manager buys the pens. I get them from her. Oh, well, geez, maybe I should be talking to her. Ding. You know, you, you need to learn something about the person before you try to sell them anything. And the same is true when you're writing an article. You don't write an article for somebody's sight unseen before you know them. So that, that research step gave me this insight. So I wrote my article based around that. And boom, I was number one in Google because I had something different that other people didn't have. Because during my, during my competitive analysis, when I got to the step of let's try to go the existing articles one better, one of the tools I used was research in building that empathy. And I, and I started researching and figuring out nobody has answered this question yet. Nobody has satisfactorily answered this question. So now I went and figured out how to answer the question and boom, of course I ranked number one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, emotional empathy and having emotional IQ are tough to teach, but when it comes to marketing, that emotional takeaway is what separates you from your competitors. So you don't remember that ad or that commercial that didn't trigger something. Usually it evokes an emotion that's connected to a positive memory. And then every time you hear that jingle or that phrase or, you know, you read that tagline, it brings you back to a place where you were happy or had some kind of, you know, positive result. So, you know, if you have or hear hundreds and hundreds of marketing messages, which you don't even realize daily, you may remember one or two. And that's the ones that do a good job at that kind of emotional trigger. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't even have to be a positive, but you're right that they often do that where, you know, they'll, they'll just show you like an awesome memory or like, like soft drink manufacturers are, are key with this. Like they'll, they'll show you like people having a great time and then they'll flash their logo. That's all they really have to do. 
But a lot of times online, you you can tap into the readers or the searchers' existing emotions, and if you know what they are, you're you if you've done this research that I that I talked about, you already know what that is. But you can you have to you have to put yourself in their shoes and think like, well, when they sat down at the at the computer to type this in, what were they feeling? And a lot of times they're feeling it's a, it could be a negative emotion. It's almost never sadness because people don't search. Sadness is not, if you ever read the book, the fantastic book, uh, Contagious uh, by Jonah Berger, it's fantastic. And he did all this research into what motivates people. And, and he found that um, sadness doesn't motivate people, but other emotions like excitement, joy, uh, fear, and anger motivate people more than anything. So you got to figure out, well, which one are they feeling when they sat down? And sadly, most people aren't sitting down to type a search query in when they're feeling joy or or excitement. Usually it's some kind of fear or anger. Um, they're trying to prove something or they're trying to figure something out. They're, they're trying to solve a problem. So you got to first show them, you know, look, I get you. You got to convey that in the first uh, 300 characters, the first 50, 45 to 50 words, you got to convey that you understand them. And one of the best ways to do this, this is, this by the way, is leveraging the inverted pyramid method of writing, which they teach in journalism school, which I never went to. Um, but that just, all that is, if you, if you're not a journalist, if you don't know what inverted pyramid is, it just means give them the value right away. If they came here because they're searching, how do I get my outboard motor to start? Chances are, this person, and if you've done the research I talked about, if you've gone through these tools I talked about already, this person, chances are, is sitting on their boat, their pontoon boat, at the boat launch with two dogs barking and two crying kids under the age of five. And their wife is looking at them with a look on her face that, that says she's trying to figure out how long it would take the person to bleed out if she were to hit them over the head with the hibachi. And so this is, this is, this is where that person is. You got to be at their level. You can't be writing this article, How to Start Your Outboard Motor, by starting out and saying, Outboarding is one of the best pastimes in, you know, that you can, you can enjoy. And you can't, you can't start blathering on about outboard motors and outboarding and how great. You've got to get right to the point and say, You can't start your outboard motor. And this is, by the way, the reason I'm telling this story is because this is a story that actually happened to me. I was Googling how do I start my outboard motor with like six people lined up at the boat ramp behind me. The thing wouldn't start. The dogs are barking. The kids are crying and you know, everything was, was bad. And, uh, and I, I actually got my phone out. I had poor service and I, and I Googled it. Outboard motor won't start. What do I do? And, uh, one of the first things that popped up was an article where it started talking all this nonsense that I didn't care about. It started kind of rambling and I thought, bye. And I clicked back and then I clicked the next article and the next article that popped up was, had basically a list of here are the top seven reasons that an outboard motor wouldn't start. And here's exactly what you do about them really quickly. Very few words. They gave me the solution right away. That doesn't mean that your articles have to be like a hundred words each, but you got to start out by giving them exactly what they came for. I know that's scary. If you're selling something, you want to be able to convert. You think, well, if I tell them the answer, they're going to leave and they're not going to buy my product. You know what? If you don't tell them the answer, they're going to leave too. If you tell them the answer, you, you're right that a lot of them are going to leave, but you at least have the chance that they're going to say, this person helped me so much. I'm going to skim through and see what other valuable things he or she is going to tell me in this article because it may be that there's something else I really need to know here. 
and at least if at least give them the value right away right that's called the inverted pyramid but also you're gonna not only you're gonna give away the value right away you're also going to engage them emotionally so i talked about you know you have to know where they are emotionally well there's a great article introduction template called problem agitate solution uh, are you familiar with that roman no, I haven't uh, read it or heard of it, but you can kind of explain it. Sure, it's fantastic. So it um, it starts out by conveying to the searcher that you understand them. So the first thing you got to do is you got to you got to hit their emotion right away, and that's the problem part of problem agitate solution. We call it PAS or problem agitate solution. So the problem part is you say, you know, you're at the boat launch, your outboard motor won't start your dogs are barking, your kids are crying, and your wife is glaring at you, like, or your husband is glaring at you. And you, you just come out and say that. You, you say the problem. Now they go, you've got them nodding. Now they're saying, oh, that is my problem. You're right. Then you agitate the problem. If you, here's, here comes agitate. If you don't get that outboard motor started, the seven people lined up behind you at the boat ramp, ramp are going to start coming down and asking you, you know, what is your problem? Um, your dog's going to run, could run off and bite someone. And, you know, you're, you're going to end up in a, in a three day fight with your family about this. Okay. So that's the agitate part. So the problem is here's the problem you have now. The agitate is here's what's going to happen if you don't solve this problem. And then the solution part is where you say sim quite simply, don't worry. I have the solution in this article. Now, sometimes you can't just come out and say that. Sometimes you have to give proof or they're going to walk away and say, I don't know, it sounds like a sales gimmick to me. You got Sometimes you got to say, look, I interviewed the top three experts on outboard motors in the country for this article. Boom. Now you've got the reader. Not only did you get them, uh, you know, you, you got them in the gut with the emotion. You also ramped it up a little bit with the agitate part. And then you said, I've got the solution and here's a little proof. It may be that your your solution, you know, maybe you didn't interview all those people. Maybe you just did a bunch of research. I'll often say, you know, uh, uh, we don't worry. Like I had to write an article recently for HP on uh, the the top uh, the top ten video gaming chairs. So I just came out and said, you know, look, you got to have a great video gaming chair because if you don't, you're going to wind up giving yourself back problems, neck problems. You, you, if you're in this chair a lot, you're going to end up, wind up with some kind of chronic, chronic injury that you really, you really don't want. Um, and then the solution was, it's really hard. Uh, the agitate was, it's really hard to find the right solution online because you've got to spend hours just reading through all these reviews and you don't know who to trust and whatever. And then the solution part was, hey, don't worry about it. I've done those hours of research. I went through all those online reviews and I built, uh, I built a, a spreadsheet of all the, what everybody says about all the different, about all the different gaming chairs. I've done that research and I'm going to show you my findings in this article. So sometimes it's, you know, I interviewed experts. Sometimes it's, I did research, but that's, that's what you say in the solution part. But if you can do that in, you know, a hundred words or less, then you've got the reader hooked. And then you don't just use that in the intro to your article. You use it in the introduction to every section in your article. I, I counsel writers to start every section in your article with the heaven or the hell that you are either about to solve with this section or they are going to experience if they don't read the section. So I write a lot of resume articles. So I'll often say, um, you know, uh, here's a section on writing a, a resume summary. 
And oftentimes I'll say, uh, I'll start out that section by saying, hey, if you don't write a great summary for your resume, chances are really good. In fact, here's a piece of research that shows uh, most recruiters spend six seconds on a resume. But if you don't, if you don't write a good resume summary at the top, chances are really good that your recruiter or your HR director or your hiring manager is not even going to read your resume. They're going to skim it real quickly, decide that you don't offer a solution that they need and move on to the next resume in their stack of 200. So I'll, I'll often, you know, that that's the way I start out a section on resume summaries. Um, any section you start, you can, and you can turn that the other way. Hey, imagine this, the recruiter just picked up your resume and read the first three lines and was hooked and decided to read the rest and read the rest spent instead of spending six seconds on you, the recruiter spent 10 minutes reading your resume very carefully and now is picking up the phone to call you. So you, you just start each section with the heaven or the hell um, that you're going to do. A couple other tools that I love to use. Uh, uh, I already mentioned the better research, doing better research, um, clearer, more concise writing. Don't use six words where one word will do. Don't say precipitation when you when you mean rain or snow. Use short words. You can Google um, Google this. Try this. Try Googling uh, Latinate words versus Germanic words because every word in the English language has a root in some other language or most of, uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. But anyway, most of them do or a lot of them do. But a lot of our words come from Latin and a lot of them come from German and the German words are shorter. Those are the, the super short words that you can use for everything. The longer Latinate words are the $5 words. Nothing wrong with them. There's nothing, I'm not trying to dumb everybody down. I'm just saying if you want to get people reading and keep them on the page so Google knows they're there, so Google ranks you higher, and so those people stick around to become customers, you've got to write clear, concise writing. You've got to use short words. You've got to use short sentences. There is a fantastic tool I like to use. I don't get any money from this, but it's called the Hemingway app. They have a free online version. They also have a paid version you can download, but uh, they're fantastic. You go and you paste your article copy into that and it will highlight all the sentences that it thinks are too long and say, hey, you know, you ought to, you ought to break these up into two or three sentences. These are, these are too long to keep people engaged. Um, it'll also tell you if, if your words are too long and if there's simpler choices you could be using. It's a fantastic tool. I use it all the time. There's a great book you can read. It's super short. It's called On Writing Well by William Zinser with two S's, Z-I-N-S-S-E-R. Uh, it's a great book. It was written back in the 70s, I believe, originally. It's very short because he practices what he preaches. But he basically gives the same advice in there with the, with the exception that he doesn't mention the Hemingway app because it didn't exist yet. Um, you also, another tool you want to use is, uh, you know, using keywords, the keywords that you found during your keyword research, don't be afraid to put those in the title of your article and put them in your section headings. Again, not so you can fool Google, but so you can clue in your readers that, uh, hey, this is the right article. Most people skim, 80% of people when they click through an article, first thing they do, and tell me if you do this yourself, they skim through it real quick. They scroll right through it real quick and look at all the headings and say, am I in the right place? Everybody does that. 80% of people do that and 80% most of those people will then decide it's the wrong place and leave if they don't see the right keywords in the section headings. So if you're writing an article about how to start a, or why, how to, how to get your outboard motor started, make sure that in your keyword, in your section headings, you've put keywords that you found during your research phase about the different, you know, 
the different ways that that uh, the different things that an, that can stop an outboard motor from starting. Next next tool I like to use is make sure you're giving actionable advice. Now these all don't sound like SEO tools, search engine optimization tools, but they are in the sense that they're what's going to get your reader to stick around longer and convert into sales and so on. So actionable advice. Uh, you never want to start a section by just a section of an article by just talking about something academic or you know something that's of interest. You want to make sure that you're giving advice throughout your article. Every section you're, you're, has some powerful advice that your reader, your searcher can sit down and go use. I, you've noticed that as we're talking, I've been giving a lot of actionable advice. Uh, throughout this talk on how to do these things. Well, you need to do that in your articles. You need to make sure that every section, you, you just sit down and say, well, what advice am I giving in this section that's going to help the reader, that's going to help the searcher? And those, those, um, that, those pieces of actionable advice can be bolstered by adding videos. You can go grab somebody else's YouTube video. This is perfectly ethical. This is perfectly legal. It's perfectly allowable. In fact, Google encourages it since they own YouTube and they want more views, go ahead and grab, search your topic on YouTube, grab a few videos from it and put them in places where they make sense in your article. Grab images that add value to the reader. Don't write an article about uh, growing apples and populate it with lots of images of different apples, thinking, well, these are pictures of apples and I've written an article about apples. That's not gonna help your searcher. It's not gonna make your searcher stick around when they start out skimming. You've got to put, if you're writing an article about how to, how to grow different varieties of apples, you're going to want to put infographics in there that actually give value or put images in there that make the searcher go, oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that I should, I, don't, I know nothing about growing apples, so I'm not going to be able to give any helpful advice on that right here. But, uh, oh, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, there's this piece of advice that this image instantly gave me. If you can't think of anything to do that, one trick I use is I'll just take the bullet list that I have. If I have a bullet list somewhere in the article, I'll take that and go on canva.com, which is a, a great service. Again, I don't make any money from them, but I use them to build um, images. I'll just go in there and like I had to write an article on medical waste. Uh, I, had, I had to rank for the term, what is medical waste? or just for the term medical waste, which if you Google that, I think I'm number one for. Uh, my article for MedPro Disposal, uh, no, no, no autographs, please. But uh, my article for MedPro Disposal, I had to write this article, and so I didn't have any images, so I just went onto canva.com, and I, got, I grabbed a picture of a biohazard symbol from Wikimedia Commons, and I uploaded it into canva.com and I just put my bullet list in large, super large type, one of my bullet lists over that. I had like six bullet lists in the article and I transformed each one of them into an image. I still use the text from the bullet list in the actual article, but I made a little image for each one and I placed those images, you know, I spaced them evenly apart. Now when somebody scrolls through, I, I'm convinced this is the reason why this article outranks every other article on this topic because I didn't do anything different in my article than, than what already existed, because every other article was already really good. So I couldn't think, I sat down and thought, well, how do I create a better, better, a better mousetrap here? I can't do it based on the topic. I can't do it based on the engaging writing. The existing articles already have that. The only thing I can think of is that instead of putting you know images of biohazard bins throughout my article, I'm gonna put images that are just 
bullet lists like with great big text throughout my article and then that way when people scroll through they're going to get answers to their questions like how many needle sticks are there per year that's right in one of my images and it's giant so when you scroll through it on a phone it pops right out at you you don't have to really look very hard i'm convinced to this day that that's the reason i dominated that term i just found a better way to add value with my images so you know do that actionable actionable advice um Try to grab also featured snippets that you were talking about how um, Google will put the answer to the searcher's question right in the search result pages. Those are called featured snippets. They're usually 300 characters long. So what you want to do is look at, uh, look at your keywords, look at the people also ask questions at the bottom of the Google search results page. There's a little, you know, people also ask and it'll say like, here's five questions people ask. You can use those questions in your um, in your article. You can actually put them in there as a section heading. Uh, you know, if you're writing a red, an article on resumes, one question might be, how do you show your skills in a resume? Well, you can put that as a section heading. How do you show your skills in a resume? Question mark. And then you can put a bullet list down there that's 300 characters long that explains how to do that or a paragraph that's 300 characters long that explains how to do that to try to win that featured snippet for that term. Um, and uh, and then you wanna, you wanna try to get backlinks. Those are super important. I know a lot of people try to reach out to other websites and say, hey, can we trade backlinks? Google is starting to penalize for that. They don't like it. You can do it if you want. Most people still do it. I don't really recommend it. I recommend that if you want backlinks, you do them the old, you get them the old-fashioned way, which is to create content. How I'm saying here, and then the back, you know, you build it, and they will come. The backlinks will come if you have this kind of uh, unique content that has better research or more concise writing, or you know, better layout, or uses any of these tools I'm talking about. People will notice it. You'll rank high, number one. And number two, people will notice it and link to it because they'll say, oh, I can't find anything better than this. So people will link to it. That's what I did with the, the original blog I worked for. Um, I got 3,000, over 3,000 backlinks in about 18 months from just use. I never, we didn't have any real backlink outreach for the site yet. I got backlinks from Fortune, Forbes, The Economist, the BBC, ABC, NBC, tons and tons of high value sites. And I even had them contact me and ask to interview me and ask to quote me because they couldn't find stuff that they couldn't find the same stuff that I was putting out there. For a good example, I had uh, an article, how much money does an NFL referee make? Now an NFL referee, according to all the existing articles at the time, made $75,000. But when I started doing my, my competitive analysis, I started trying to follow their sources back and say, well, where are you getting this for? Everybody's saying $75,000. Where's it coming from? I started, this is the better research tool. Uh, I, I couldn't find it until I finally tracked it down. They're all, they're all linking to each other and saying, oh, this guy says it, that guy says it. They're all kind of circular, linking in a circular fashion to each other until I finally found one of them way down the stack. I dug a little deeper. I didn't just stop at the top three articles because I really wanted to find this source. So I kept clicking and clicking. I have to like page two or page three of the Google search results. And I found they, they all were kind of linking finally to this one NFL report that said the average pay rate for an NFL official is $75,000 in 2012. My first th thought was that's 2012. I'm writing this in 2017. Big difference. And my second thought was, 
what the heck is an NFL official? So I started researching, reading about that. And I found out there are like eight different types of NFL officials, all the way from the line judge, who's like the low level employee, all the way up to the referee, who is like the manager of all the other ones. So saying that they all make $75,000 because the average pay rate for all of those job titles is $75,000 is ridiculous. It's like saying the average Pizza Hut, it's like saying Pizza Hut managers make minimum wage. They don't because it, you'd be basing that on the salary, the, the median salary or the average salary of all Pizza Hut employees from the general manager of the restaurant all the way down to the dishwasher. That's just not true. That's what they were, that's basically what they were saying. So I wrote my article about how much money does an NFL referee make where I just explained that. I just said, look, all these people telling you $75,000, it's not true. It's probably more like $500,000. I don't know that, but here's my logic and here's my thinking. And here's a couple of spreadsheets and a few images to show you where I'm getting this. And that article ranked number one for years, again, because I built a better mousetrap. I did better research. I presented it better. Um, and then that article got tons of really, really high value backlinks because nobody else could find that kind of information anywhere else because all the other articles out there were parroting each other, just saying it's $75,000 based on an NFL report, uh, which we're not linking to. But, but anyway, so if, if you can do any of that, you can outrank. You got to do this work. If you want to rank, you got to do this. You can't just churn out what everybody else is churning out. Um, you have to do, you have to create a fair amount of content. You have to be adding regularly. The blogs that I've worked for that have succeeded have had at least an article a day published. If you're doing your own small business website and you can't afford to do that, you can't afford to hire somebody for that. You at least got to be publishing, you know, an article a week. If you want to rank at all, you got to be, you got to be cranking out at least one article a week with this kind of thought put into it. And, and it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to take forever. Like I said, the research phase of it, you might spend an hour on all this research I talked about. You might spend half an hour sometimes. If it's something you really know about, you might spend 20 minutes on it, 15 minutes on it. Um, but you got to do it if you want to rank. And uh, and that's basically it. I mean, there's some other kind of strategy ideas I can give for if you want to you know, build a content strategy. Um, I'm not sure if your reader, if your listeners are interested in that or not, but that's, you know, this is how to rank for a single article. Then there's some more kind of general advice for how to, how to do the whole overall content strategy. Um, but that's basically it. You know, you build that empathy as, as hard as you can through using these tools, not through being some kind of J Jonah Jameson type of savant when it comes to empathy, but through using these tools to understand your reader and then to, to be kind to your reader, to, to, to use that understanding to give them what they're looking for. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of hard work to get good content and a lot of great advice that you gave. I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, the best way is to look for my book, Think Like Google. Just go to amazon.com and type in the words, think like Google uh, and hit enter and it'll pop up. It'll be one of the first top things that pop up. It's available in paperback and, uh, and ebook. Awesome, thanks again for stopping by. Thank you so much, Roman, for having me. It was really fun. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.